Almighty God, we ask that you would come among your people and that you would nourish our hearts and souls, our minds and our bodies with your word. That we've heard read and also what we will hear preached. May it be by your spirit's power, words of life um, for us, we pray. And we commend ourselves fully to your love and care. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Oh, that was a little sad. Good morning. There we go. Go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. There are a few Bibles in front of you. You may want to just follow along here and there. We're going to be going across different parts of the Gospel We'll, of course, focus on aspects of what was read this morning in our gospel lesson. We'll bounce around a bit as well. As I mentioned last week, Christ Church is entering the season of good transitions brought about by God. He is blessing this congregation in so many ways. His spirit is active among us, animating our God-given gifts for his glory and for the life of others, not only within this church, but also in the broader community. And the evidence of this is seen, I think, undeniably in the genuine love that each of you show for one another. Uh, just hearing testimony of that, Ashley was giving kind of a report back from the, the bridal shower that was had yesterday for Mayada, um, just testimony of God's love in her life through this body. Um, and so I, that's evidence of what God is doing. It's evidence of the Spirit's active work in the midst of your lives in this church. And so as we enter into this season of good transitions, I want us to go back to the basics and allow God through his word to reinstill and to fortify anew what animates us as a church. Who are we? What are we to do? Where are we going? Those are kind of the big things we're going to engage over the next several months. And so over those next several months, I'm going to unpack an answer to this question, this following question. What does it mean for us in the next season of life here at Christ Church? To be a Christian church, deeply rooted in Christ and in Winston-Salem for the glory of God and for the life of our neighbors. What does it mean for us in the next season of life to be a Christian church, deeply rooted in Christ and in Winston-Salem for the glory of God and for the life of our neighbors? This week, we begin at the center, at the core, at the heart, at the most important thing for us. The most important reality for us is this. This is where we'll start, that we are a Christian church. More than we are an Anglican church, we are a Christian church. We are a church of Jesus Christ, the King of heaven and earth. This reality stands at the center of who we are as a people called and gathered together by God. And what you might ask is a Christian church, is it a civic organization? A voluntary gathering of people seeking to just live a better life, to better themselves, to live out some kind of ethic or morality? Is it a community of activists seeking social justice? What is a Christian church? I think simply we can define a Christian church in this way. A Christian church is a people called by God to gather around the magnetic center of the good news that in Jesus Christ, God's kingdom has come. We are a people called by God, and gathered around the good news of Jesus Christ. Mark begins his gospel. You can look there if you have your Bible open in chapter 1, verse 1, with these words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
There's no confusion about what is to follow after this verse. We're going to encounter the gospel, the news that is good about King Jesus. The word Christ means anointed. It's the word for king in the Jewish language here. It's the Jewish conception of it. He is anointed for his role as king. And so when Jesus comes into the picture for the first time in Mark's gospel in chapter 1, we should pay close attention. Mark's already told us this entire book, this entire writing is about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, we should pay attention, especially to the first thing that he says, those first words that come out of his lips. And we hear those in verse 15. The time, Jesus says, is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is an announcement, right? Good news. News is an announcement of something that's happened, something that's taking place, something that has already taken place. And Jesus says, I have an announcement for you all. God's kingdom is here. It's here right now in my presence. The kingdom of God is here. Now that Jesus is on the scene, God's long-awaited kingdom has finally arrived. And this is what the Bible identifies as gospel. Good news. Look at verse 14. How does Mark set up Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of God has arrived? Now after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Mark understood whatever message he's about to say, Mark understood it as the good news, the gospel, the best news. The gospel of God saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in what? The gospel. There's kind of like a gospel sandwich here. On both ends of this, we have our bread, and it's rich gospel bread. It's sandwiching what Jesus is saying about the kingdom being present in his person. Mark identifies this as the gospel. Jesus identifies it as the gospel. And here's the gospel, so we're really clear. The gospel is that in Jesus, God's kingdom has arrived. That's what it is according to Mark. That's what it is according to Jesus. This is the news that demands for Jesus a response. Not all news demands a response. The fact that Wake Forest lost yesterday does not demand a response. But maybe the fact that the news that there's a Category 5 hurricane heading towards your home, that demands a response. Likewise, the gospel is news. It's good news that demands a response. At least that's what Jesus says. For Jesus says we have to respond to it. And the appropriate response, the one he calls us to at least, is that we need to repent and to believe in it. And believe that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived. This is the central fact of Jesus' life, that in him, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, God's kingdom has broken out onto planet Earth. And as a Christian church, this is the central fact of our life. Christ church, we are a people, by God's grace, gathered around the magnetic center of the good news that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come on Earth. But what does it mean? What does it mean that the kingdom of God has come on earth in Jesus? Well, in Mark's gospel, we're going to let Jesus answer that question. In Mark's gospel, Jesus explains what it means through four different means. His miracles, his teachings, primarily in his parables, his death and his resurrection. His miracles, his parables, his death and his resurrection. This week, we're going to look at those first two, and next week, we'll take a look at the second two, Jesus' death and resurrection. 
So turn, if you would, over to chapters 4 and 5 in Mark's Gospel. We're not going to read those two chapters. I'm going to be referencing them, so you might want to look down from time to time. I would highly encourage you this next week to go ahead and read through Mark chapters 4 through 5. I mean, even the whole Gospel itself, if you have the time for it. But read through these verses and review what we go over here this morning. In Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 34, Jesus explains what the kingdom of God is all about through four parables. Through four parables. Then, starting in verse 35 and going all the way through the end of chapter 5, Jesus demonstrates. He's not just talking about it. He's going to demonstrate what the kingdom of God is all about, what it looks like in action. So let's begin there with Jesus' miracles first. These four miracles provide us with a window through which we can see a glimpse of the kingdom of God and what it's all about. Through the miracles, we get some kind of a glimmer, some kind of a vision of what God's kingdom is all about. So look there first in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. What do we see when we peer through the window of this miracle of Jesus calming the sea? What do we see? We see creation, nature, our physical world being healed and restored by God's power. Jesus is actively saving creation, delivering it from its war against humanity. He brings peace between nature and humans. Notice what Jesus says to the storm. Peace. It's the very same words he used to the disciples in John's gospel in the upper room. When they're in utter fear, Jesus appears before them and he says, peace be with you. To the storm, Jesus says, peace be still. No longer must creation rage under the weight of its captivity to futility and corruption, as Paul says in Romans 8. Now that the kingdom of God is here, creation is freed, healed and restored. There is peace between nature and humans in the kingdom of God. That's what his first miracle shows us about the kingdom. Second, there in Mark chapter 5, the first 20 verses, Jesus casts out demons from a man. And through this window of this miracle, we see the arrival, that the arrival of God's kingdom means an end to spiritual bondage. An end to spiritual bondage. In the kingdom of God, Jesus deals with our deepest spiritual problems. He deals with our deepest spiritual problems. The darkest parts of your soul and heart. Those things that you would never give voice to, to anyone else. Jesus decisively deals with them. He delivers us from bondage to dark forces and to evil that, far, that are far outside of our control. And then in verses 21 through 34 of Mark chapter 5, we see that the kingdom of God arriving on earth means that disease is healed. Look there. In this episode, a woman with a blood disease in desperation pushes through the crowd just so that she might touch the edge, the hem of his garment and she gets close enough to do so, and by faith, she is healed. Her blood disorder for 12 years is gone in that single touch of Jesus' garment. 
The arrival of, God, of the kingdom of God means an end to disease. Real diseases ravaging real people. In the kingdom of God, disease is healed. And then finally, in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43, we see that with the arrival of God's kingdom in Jesus, death is defeated. Death is defeated. It is destroyed. It is no more in the kingdom of God. With two little Aramaic words, Jesus strong arms death and forces it to give life back to a little girl. He'll do the same for you. In the kingdom of God, death is a conquered foe. Death is no more. We have no need to fear it. So through his miracles... Jesus shows us what the world and human life is like under the benevolent reign of God in his kingdom. It is freed. It is healed and restored. The news that is so good is that the power of God has arrived on planet earth to liberate, heal, and make new. That's the kingdom of God. That's the news. That's the best news in the world. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Anything else of that is a derivative and is connected to it that we call gospel. That is the central claim of the gospels. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. It's cosmic. It's intensely personal, but it's also cosmic. Through the windows of Jesus' miracles, we catch a glimpse of a renewed cosmos through which Satan and his demons have been cast out. Sickness and pain are to be no more. The creation restored to its original beauty and harmony, and death itself is gone forever. No trace of sin's effects will deface or defile God's new creation kingdom. And we can say, praise God. Amen. That's what the Bible, that's what Jesus calls good news. The powers of nature subdued to Jesus' will, demons driven out, diseases healed, and death unraveling to give back life. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And the arrival of this kingdom on the scene in human history is the greatest news ever. And as we move into a new season of life at Christ Church, this is the central and animating fact of our life. That we are a people by God's grace, gathered around the magnetic center of this good news. Now, the miracles of Jesus are not the only thing that reveals the kingdom of God to us. We're going to go through four of them, but there's one more left for this morning. Jesus goes one step further. He explains the kingdom of God through these teachings, through these parables. So if you go back to Mark chapter 4 and elsewhere in the Gospels, especially in Matthew and Luke, Jesus teaches us four key lessons about God's kingdom. First, look with me there at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Jesus here teaches through the parable of the sower that the kingdom of God does not come with irresistible power. It does not come with irresistible power. Now, just a moment ago, when we were peering through the window of Jesus' miracles to catch a glimpse of what God's kingdom is like, how many of us thought, well, that's beautiful, that's wonderful, but there's still death. There's still sickness. There's still disease. Some of you are doctors. You know this. Some of you are 
struggling through cancer or other form of disease, you know this. There's still demons. There are still in this world so much pain and suffering. And so if the kingdom has arrived in Jesus, then why doesn't it look like this everywhere? In his teachings and especially in his parables, Jesus helps us understand the answer to that question. And one of the things that Jesus teaches is that the kingdom of God is resistible. You can reject it. Notice that the leading parable that Jesus gives us to explain the kingdom of God does not involve the image of a conquering king with a massive army forcing everyone under his reign and rule. Instead, the first thing, the first parable about the kingdom in Mark's gospel is that Jesus is like a sower, a farmer, a lowly, humble farmer throwing seed out into his field. The kingdom comes in weakness and humility. And there are places where the seeds of God's kingdom land and they are resisted. They're rejected. Whether it's the hard and packed dirt of the footpath or the suffocating ground full of rocks and thorns. Jesus' point in this parable is clear. People can reject the kingdom of God. They can refuse to repent and believe that in Jesus, God's kingdom has arrived, and that is good news. You see, the kingdom of God makes its way presently in our world through weakness and humility, just like the lowly farmer sowing his seed. Second, Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God does not arrive all at once. This is what the parable of the mustard seed teaches us there in Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34. Right now, the kingdom of God may seem small and insignificant, but one day it will become the most significant kingdom, the most visible kingdom over all the earth, like a tiny mustard seed that, when, that may seem like nothing when it is sown, but when it germinates and grows and reaches maturity, it is the largest of all garden plants, providing blessing, shade for all those who take up residence within its domain. So the kingdom of God does not come in irresistible power in Jesus' first advent. It does not arrive all at once. And third, though the kingdom of God has humble beginnings, in the future it will be glorious and impossible to ignore. In passages like Matthew 13, we see that there is a coming day when King Jesus will mete out final judgment. Redemption and wrath are two sides of one singular reality. God will ultimately save his creation by judging his enemies who have ruined it. He will ultimately save his creation by judging his enemies who have ruined it. Only people who have never been a victim... Only people who have never been a victim of evil can imagine that a beautiful future can occur without justice, without judgment. But when you have suffered at the hands of great evil, you know that judgment is what is required to set things right. It's a privileged position to say that it's not, there's never going to be judgment. Talk to the oppressed. Read the Psalms. The kingdom of God may be resistible now, but there is coming a time 
when everyone must come face to face with it and with its king, when everyone must stand before King Jesus and give an account of whether they received his announcement through repentance and faith or whether they rejected it, allowing it to be trodden or trampled underfoot. It comes in, it does not come in irresistible power. It does not come all at once. Though it has humble beginnings, it will one day be revealed in all its glory and it will be impossible to ignore the kingdom of God. And then fourth and finally here, since the kingdom has begun in Jesus, why doesn't God complete his work now? Why does he delay the final judgment? Why does he delay the revelation of his glory and life and vitality to its fullness? Why does he hide its glory and power in weakness and humility? Well, Jesus teaches that the reason God is waiting to bring about his kingdom in fullness is so that many, many more people can join it, can be a part of it. We see this in teachings like the parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14. There we find a banquet that is being made ready. The table is set and laden with wonderful food and drink, but the host pauses everything. The guests must wait a little while longer. The enjoyment of the banquet is suspended, but the host has a very good reason for the delay. It is so that others can also be brought in to share at that banquet. All, and we heard the all mentioned this morning in Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah 61, all, and especially the poor, the lost, the prisoner, the forgotten ones, all are invited and welcome to share in the banquet that is God's kingdom. And it's here that we begin to understand our own place and our own calling within the unfolding story of God as it is revealed to us in Scripture between Jesus' inauguration, his inauguration of the kingdom, its starting, its beginning point here in Mark, and his final and full revelation of it when he returns as a triumphant king. We are a people, a church, whose lives are to be a living demonstration of the kingdom's power to free, heal, and make new in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of humility, and amid the pain and suffering that continue only for a little while until the king returns to set all things right, to make all things new. And like Jesus... The power of God that transforms our lives, demonstrating the presence of God's kingdom here and now, is to be accompanied with explanation. Parables, teachings, stories. Every Christian is to live in such a way that our actions call out of us gospel explanation. An explanation that finds its answer in Jesus the good news, that the kingdom of God is breaking into our world and has broken into it. And the fact that the power of God's kingdom is clothed in weakness and humility does not mean that it is to be lived out in fear. Rather, its presence in our lives requires great boldness to invite and welcome others into God's kingdom while there is yet time to respond to the invitation to come to the banquet. For one day our king will return, and on that day, 
As Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, whether willingly or not, to his kingship. Christ Church, we are a people gathered around the magnetic center of the good news that in Jesus the kingdom of God has arrived. It is here. That means that we are a transformed people. We embody the power of God's coming kingdom in our weakness and humility through the Spirit of God who lives within us. That's why Pentecost is so important for us. Jesus' life his death, his resurrection, they bring the kingdom of God onto earth. And his presence is the inbreaking of that, but that continues when he leaves to be enthroned at the right hand of God by his outpouring of the Spirit, his Spirit that dwells in each one of you, empowering you with the life of the kingdom, true freedom from sin. Our world tells us so often that things in our lives, that our desires are determinative, that we are in many ways enslaved to them. There's nothing you can do but give in and follow through. But Jesus proclaims a gospel, a good news, that there's freedom. There's healing of our entire person. There's life and vitality. We're a transformed people. It also means that we are an invitational people. We explain what God has done in our lives and what he is doing. We have to give an account when people ask, why are you so weird? Because of Jesus. Why are you forgiving me? Because I've been forgiven. Everything. How can I not offer forgiveness? How can I seek vengeance when God's vengeance was poured out on someone else? We're an invitational people. We explain what God is doing in our lives in Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, inviting others to come through repentance and faith to taste and see the goodness of God. To taste and see the goodness of God around his ever-expanding banquet table of the kingdom. And finally, this means that we are an astonished people. We're blown away. When we see and hear the good news that in Jesus, God's kingdom is here among us and within our lives, we can do nothing more than be astonished to be blown away. To be amazed. And to have that astonishment and that amazement erupt in praise and thanksgiving at every moment of our life. But especially when we gather together to make our voices heard before the throne of God. And thanks be to God, the astonishment does not end here. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus' death and resurrection and what that means for God's kingdom being present in our lives. And it just gets better from this moment. Because Jesus' death and resurrection stand at the core of it. It's what makes it a guarantee for us, a sure promise. Christ Church, 
as we go into another season of life here, let us refocus our hearts and our minds upon the gospel. That in Jesus, God's new creation kingdom has come. And that does bring real healing and forgiveness and power and freedom and new life to us. And it is freely offered to our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members who do not know that power. And so may you be emboldened by God's vision of the kingdom. May we invite as many people as we come across to the banquet. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.